KCSU Stanford. This is the Henry George Program. I am Mark Molino. This is a program about economics and housing here in the Bay Area and beyond, and the policy behind it. Today in the show, we are talking about affordable housing. We are joined by Paul Leone, housing advocate, developer of affordable housing. We're also joined by Max Kapczynski of Paul to Forward. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, great to be here. So you are relatively new to the Bay Area. You I'm came, new. You came here uh, how long ago? About a year and a half ago. A and, little over that. And you are now working for the Mid-Pen Housing Corporation. Well, yeah. For someone who knows nothing about the Mid-Pen Housing Corporation, what is it? I like it. Corporation makes it sound a lot more diabolical. It's a nonprofit, um, affordable housing developer. And we build um, 100% below market rate units, um, Section 8. Um, when the market rate isn't an option, there's other options out there. Some of it is you could try to get some of these below market rate units. And who actually runs them and maintains them? It's, it's MidPen. Is that how it works? It's MidPen. We run them. We maintain them. We run the services in them. Is this for rent and own, or is this only rent? You know, that's a good question. Interestingly enough, we partnered with another nonprofit um, that is now our affiliate called Hello Housing, and mm. they do homeownership opportunities. So, um, yeah. So what is your history of you and affordable housing? What brought you to MidPen? It's really not that. It's really horrible. Uh, so <laughs> I was in accounting school. Uh, well, I went to college for accounting, and then I graduated, and I, my plan was to get um, a job at a firm. It didn't work out. My, by the way, my wife also left halfway from Boston to come here to Stanford, and so I followed her. Um, I lost my first job because I wasn't that good at accounting. Um, and I was really depressed, so I went to a uh, like a recruiter, and they said, "Hey, we got this job at um, a nonprofit housing developer." I was like, "Yeah, I definitely want to do something in nonprofit. That sounds great." Um, so, when someone's not good at accounting, what, what does that mean? Um, or in this job, at least, it, I would say it means that they don't have the best attention to detail um, when it means to like. I guess there was a lot of times I would just miscode stuff. Uh, yeah, that would get us in trouble. But talk about okay, that's your, so talk about a weakness. Talk about one of your strengths. What do you bring to uh, the affordable housing scene with your uh, accounting superpowers? You, well, you know, I understand budgets. Um, I understand how costs work and where we can maybe um, reduce costs. What are like rate limiting costs and things that are going to like prevent us from moving forward? So those things definitely help me. Um, as I'm like starting, because I just started being on the development side last week. So you talk about it's 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 other businesses that are run not in the nonprofit sector. They try to rent out units for market rates and basically make everything balance that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does MidPen, if you rent things out for lo- below market rate, how does everything balance? Well, I mean, if you're asking how it it, it balances, but if you're asking how we make money. Um, I guess I'm asking how. Well, what is the sustainable model for delivering below market rate housing that people uh, right now need? And for the most part, it's tax credits. So we have in the United States, there's a program called the Low Income Tax um, Low Income Housing Tax Credit L I H T C LIHTC, and what that does is that there's a finite amount of those. Um, set out from the federal government, 
and they give them to different states. And then the states allocate it through an allocation committee. And the 9% tax credits, they're very, very competitive because there's only so many of them. Um, and different nonprofit developers like MidPen apply for these tax credits for certain projects. And there's certain things that would attract them more to them. Um, so does this, this basically mean in the end it's 9% cheaper for you oh. to, to make in housing than it would be the other guys in the field? Or is it That's a good different question. than 9%? So the way it works is that they would get, can get up to 9% re, uh, tax credit on their existing tax liability every year. Okay. So, um, yeah, if they put in a certain amount of money, or the, you, you need two things for our industry to flourish. You need a housing crisis, and you need a lot of companies with very high tax liabilities. So this is like the fertile crescent of <laughs> nonprofit affordable housing. Yeah. Do you get issued the tax credit um, when you apply for them, and then you, and then you sell them to a company that wants to apply this to their tax liability? Is that how it works? We don't work directly with the investor in the thing. Mm. So there's always like the syndicator, um, mm. and that syndicator would be somebody like like Wells Fargo, or there's some nonprofit syndicators like uh, uh, Enterprise Institute, the American Enterprise Institute, I think it's called. Mm. Um, I don't know a whole lot of them. I actually met a bunch of them at Housing California this past week. Um, so there, there are nonprofit syndicators, and they take these tax credits, and then they sell them to companies. I see. Yeah. So what kind of companies are the ones who or are the end of the line who actually benefit from the tax credits? Um, well, so the ones who buy them the most are big banks. Yeah. Big banks have absolutely major tax liabilities. They have a lot of money, and so they invest in them a lot. But there are other... Um, Investors, like like I said, there's these syndicators, so they can sell them to a groups of people. And so maybe people like Google, Facebook, um, tech companies invest into these tax credits to reduce their tax liability. And, and then in the end, they hire the construction crew and like actual development? Or? No, we do that. Okay. That's so. what we do. We just, so they, we get the tax credit. We apply for the tax credit. Yeah. And then that goes to the syndicator. A syndicator will take those and sell those um, to other companies. Um, and that's where we get the equity. We get the equity from somebody like Wells Fargo who, or whoever is going to be the main investor. So, so it isn't really credit. They just basically give you money to build because it helps out their taxes in the end. They, so they give us money, and we yeah. give them tax credits. Okay. so it, Mediated through this uh, syndicator. Yes. And they maybe take a cut or figure out all the other stuff with that, the syndicator. I don't know specifically. I'm sure they get a cut. Oh. Uh, <laughs> because there are a lot of for-profit syndicators. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing they get their profit from, yeah, some sort of cut. B- big picture. Just imagine kind of like in a perfect world, is this really, I, I mean, this sounds awfully complicated. I mean, I didn't understand it at all, really. And I feel like it's still, <laughs> you know, spinning around my head than just. It's complicated you- for me. I just started like, I mean, it's. <laughs> It's still complicated for me. I mean, you imagine like, oh, we need public housing and subsidies. It comes out of taxes. Yeah, the it, government just cuts a check. Like that's how I would think public programs to fund housing would work. Yeah, but this is we get it through. Um, yeah, this public-private partnership. Yeah, it, hmm. it, does it offer? I guess when people you know tr- tr- say that you can't just stay in the public sector, you need to bring the private sector in because I guess it brings innovation, it brings better allocation. Do you see? Do you do you see this taking place, or do you think that really it's about getting you money to do stuff, and there really isn't really the innovation? Well, it's just it just basically equity. I don't know how much about the innovation it is, but I think, and this is completely speculation, but I do think that 
the government to has a decreased ability to like oversee that this project is going to be good and profitable and that the end result is going to last for 15 years because the light tech tax credit lasts for 15 years so for 15 years they're getting credit yeah uh each year annually so that's how they make their money um so is is this saying that the public has less of an appetite to fund public housing directly i'm saying that like if you're Wells Fargo and your money is dependent, your investment in this program is dependent upon the 15-year lifespan of this building, having like some sort of inspector or hiring these people to check or to make sure that it's actually doing this, mm. I would say that Wells Fargo probably has the means and the desire to do that better than the federal government. So, so it isn't just a they they write a check, you go right. to town, and then they just for, you for every each other. year you want that tax credit to come in. So every they have, year they have a financial incentive. Every, mm. The government, if they cut that check once and then see you later, yeah, um, then maybe they will really see you later. And it's like, well, this place is in disrepair, and I don't know. How did these instruments form? Was this during? Kind of the was this created out of the general privatization or public par, uh, private partnership forming in the last thirty forty years? How what's the history of this of this instrument? I think ta- like tech. When I last looked it up, not that it's changed. I think it came out of the seventies. It was started in the seventies, and it, I don't know how it played in how like what happened with like prior waves of urban renewal and how that led to like the government thinking that this was a better idea. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it happened around the 70s, though. I mean, that's around the time that public housing just really started to feel like something the public turned against, saying it, you know, I, it doesn't work. And I think a lot of people would say you can look at the fact that a lot of the ways people did it was kind of to get certain populations out of the way. And okay. I mean, I, I guess I, I see that was uh, looking at the Midpen site. They say like they wanted to make public housing that worked better. They and they kind of started that oh, with yeah. I think a private credit line from David Packard to kind of start out and, and make housing. Really interesting. It, it yes. was actually started here on the Stanford campus. Huh. In fact, when I look, I was looking through some older documents, and there was like this IRS form or something that was signed. And the first tax return or whatever that was sent back was sent to the Department of Psychology here at Stanford <laughs> campus. And I, I thought that was really interesting. So it has a long Stanford history, too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's I mean, people feel like old lessons. They weigh heavily in the mind. You look at Pruitt, Ego, I go, whatever. Yes. In St. Louis, you look at the projects in Chicago and people say public housing. It doesn't work. And I guess. Maybe you can look at a lot of different decisions and how those were made, and I think you can look at a lot of people politically who wanted them to fail and I think did a lot to kind of build the narrative and kind of – if they had the incentive – to basically make them fail because yeah. that, that is going to validate their, their ideology. And I guess – I don't know. I, I can't imagine that uh, – uh, yeah, that, that – you would maybe have this system if a kind of general pipeline of just giving you know different companies like like Midpen or corporations or entities uh, the ability to build housing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like 
there could be in a different world a lot more money being being put into uh, midpen. But I guess in California, there's certainly not an infinite pipeline of of, no. of funds. Uh, you and, and you talk about the history of in the, the whole thing with uh, Governor Brown a few years ago. Yeah. Any background on that? Well, I, I just to say back as far as the tax credit is concerned, there is like only a finite amount of those that are given out, and then the, like, do you know how that's determined? <laughs> I so actually I do. It's determined upon population of the state, and so the population of the state is on a per capita level. They distribute it based on those numbers. But how how is the federal pie size determined? I do, that's a good question. That I, I think there's a number that is set because there is a new initiative. Actually, ironic, interestingly enough, it's by um, Maria Cantwell from uh, Democratic senator from um, Washington, Washington, and then Orrin Hash from Utah, really? Republican. Hmm. They co-sponsored a bill to expand LIHTC by fifty hmm. percent. The Whoa, amount, wow. yeah, it's big. It'd be huge if they did this. Um, and it's actually getting a lot of steam recently. So they 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 were wondering how you know how that would. So I that's the fact that they're saying they want to increase it by fifty percent. Yeah, uh, makes me think that there must be some sort of decided amount, and they're going to increase that amount. Does this live within HUD? It lives within HUD. And do you have any personal reaction to how HUD is being managed by Mr. Gifted Hands himself, oh. Ben Carson? Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't think I should be. Talking negatively about HUD, considering we work so close, well, but I, I don't mean, think it's yeah. I, I have some. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the question is: Are you seeing policy implications? Because I, I guess I note personally, and I'm certainly not speaking here about my own reading the news, a certain amount of hostility to the idea that there should be federal aid towards housing. He, it seems oh. like he's very much, he's at a lot of talking points like up from your bootstraps. Kind I of. can tell you that I know personally from the people that I know at Midpen, they do they will not they do not agree, yeah, with some of the things that Ben Carson has said. So one of the things he just said like a week or two ago was that affordable housing shouldn't be made comfortable, too comfortable, because mm-hmm. if it is, then it'll give people an incentive to want to stay there. Um, and that's the that's the story of the whole of the whole Trump presidency, the whole Trump cabinet. That that federal money or power shouldn't be used for anything. Federal money should be reduced to zero, and federal power should be reduced to zero. And that's market should quite, run everything. That's not quite true. I mean, he says we need more infrastructure for rural Americans. <laughs> that infrastructure thing that cracks me up, though. What infrastructure has actually been built in the last two years or planned or well, I think he I haven't wants heard of much like highway repairs for rural Americans. I think if you look at I think if you are the you know the Trump the Trump constituency, which I mean to generalize way too broadly is uh, you know uh, basically white uh, and underemployed. Yeah, I mean it's 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 mm. white with the grievance against everyone who's keeping them back and it's personally taking their money. Yeah, I mean, and that's I think the without the racial weight of why public housing failed, and it really was, you know, largely uh, segregated communities. And I think that there is in the entire strain of of the GOP thought saying, "Oh, look at those minorities. Yeah, they they became lazy and spoiled, and that's the story they want to tell themselves." Well, you know, I was at Housing California this past on the last day. This guy said something that really inspired me and made me want to like and it's going to totally change the way I approach um, my job he said that you know we are a part and I think when you're in history it's easy to look back on things um, and think 
like this was the first wave of re rede- uh, of urban development of re- urban redevelopment this was the second wave of urban renewal i don't know if jane jacobs when she was d- being an actor and it thought of herself as an actor in the second wave of urban renewal but he said that we are a part of the third wave of mm. urban renewal and we have the ability to understand that we are now so so and first first wave is basically driving out the inner cities that are broken and mm-hmm. then building the the big programs to fix it is that right to say the kind of robert moses style of, or well i thought that was the second wave I thought, oh what's like, the first wave the, the would be pre-world war ii yeah, yeah. okay 1900 tenement flat, cold water flats and tenement buildings. and So we've had no wave in 60 years? <laughs> That's a long way. Oh, mean, that gives you the Bay Area that you see around I mean, you. <laughs> statistics have showed. Yeah. That's, well, I guess we, I mean, it, I, I think all the infrastructure in the last 60 years, it kind of has been aftershocks of Moses-style yeah. development. And of the New Deal as well. There's been yeah. an office renewal. I mean, there's been new, true. lots of new offices built. Really great landscaping and really uh, and and, and large art. mansions, yeah, <laughs> corporate art. But I, I just know a lot more is about like how do we get basically capital injected into the parts that aren't working. And I think a lot of it tended to kind of move from the big bold programs to being mm-hmm. technocratic tweaks to get more sure. capital. So how would you define the third wave? Well, you see, so. Again, I, I can tell you what I've heard a lot of and what seems to be – so we just had the gubernatorial form at yeah, Housing so, California. So describe Housing California. We, we, we talked about this convention, uh, this yeah, yeah. conference, but you tell, uh, tell everyone what this housing is. Housing California is um, the main – it's a big convention of anybody and everybody who's involved in housing in um, California. So um, this is nonprofit <laughs> developers. This is – People in advocacy, um, a lot of legal people who deal with like HA um, type of deals, um, and then it's also um, yeah, actual politicians and stuff. Well, you yeah. say everybody. Were there were there folks from architects? Were there folks from the uh, Yimby scene around the Bay Area? There was Laura. Laura actually went. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I didn't actually see her. We were all supposed to meet up at the California Yimby headquarters, but it didn't. They were talking about there's this CMB wave and they're really excited about it and they think it's like really good and like people are starting to show up at these city council meetings and they didn't do this before huh. and of of everybody who's everybody who was there was anybody a vocal Prop 13 critic was there was he's like oh those are the folks that just want the repeal of Prop 13 or is that not yet a constituency in the entire housing scene I don't think. I I think that most of the people I've met privately definitely would support a repeal of Prop 13, but um, nobody was, like, pushing that. There was, like, so there were, one of the workshops was bold regional strategies to build affordable housing, and they were, it was a big pro 827, SB, 827, SB 35 thing. Which we've talked about in the past in the show, which I think is probably, we won't get into detail now, but check out the previous episodes. You want more about that? Yeah. So there was that. There wasn't anybody really talking about, I mean, people said it. Actually, some of the gubernatorial candidates brought it up. Delane Easton just said, she's like, we need to get rid of Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, at at this thing, so it was a. All the different kind of major players in housing, and then also the gubernatorial candidates were there talking about housing. That's pretty right. exciting. All they talked talked housing the whole time. So it was five candidates, and they all said housing was the number one issue. Um, so I don't know if they had to say that, but um, I mean, I guess that's. I feel the sins of California in the past is people who you know, talk the talk about we need to fix housing, but are unable to really put 
policies on the table to fix housing, how kind of you know practical fixes were they talking about here? Chang talked a lot of practical um, stuff, so practical that it was hard for me to understand specifically what he was talking about. One of the things, uh, so you were talking about funding things and how do we get that money directly into it. So a lot of the candidates thought um, a big way of doing that, besides the Republican candidates, of course, um, that a bond measure, um, a state bond um, was going to need to be. So right now there's a $4 billion. Um, Chang said he wanted to have, well, at first he we thought he said he wanted it to be a $9 billion, but he was like, no, I mean a $9 billion in addition to that. So we're talking $13 billion. And he got a loud clap from the crowd um, on that. Um, so that's how he thinks it should be funded. Um, and he supports... Um, recreating the redevelopment agencies. Newsom also said he supports the new re- redevelopment agencies. Um, they both, all three of Villagrosa, Newsom, and um, Chang said that they want a bond. They disagreed on the amounts exactly. Chang said the biggest amount, but they all said they wanted the redevelopment agencies back. Me and my most cynical uh when you say we want to offer bonds as opposed to saying we want to basically create tax revenue, isn't it a mm-hmm. way of kind of saying we want other people to pay for the funds we need now? I, I guess theoretically, sure. <laughs> well, I mean, they can't raise. I mean, what revenue, where all the redevelopment agencies' revenue used to come from was property taxes, and that was part of the reason yeah. that they dried up was because revenue dried up. So, I mean, where are you left with? Do you, in, do you increase sales tax by another cent or do you issue bonds? It's like that's that's what's left. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing with California. It's like California feels that we are a huge economy. We are doing great in a lot of ways. The demand for our major cities is tremendous. And that's mm-hmm. a thing like, you know, like West Virginia being a state that's struggling. A big problem is no one wants to go there. When you have people wanting to go to a state, this yeah. implies you have a lot of money to tap into. But California always has to cry poverty. And there's a lot of fundamental things that I feel that even when you're talking about things like, yeah, let's actually offer that bond, it kind of subverts the big, big elephant, which is California can't We have a revenue into, problem. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know. I mean- Well, that, that's all Western governments in the last, basically in the last 40 years, a move from um, high taxes, large amounts of centralized government power, big plan projects to- um, Governments that are really indebted, that aren't able to expand their revenue gathering abilities and are forced to, yeah, rely on on issuing debt and issuing lots and lots of debt and mm-hmm. rolling back their responsibilities and handing more off to the no private sector. No regional planning anymore. No regional yeah. planning. It's, it's, it's much more down to local entities in the private sector. They've lost the power that they had 40 to 100 years ago. Yeah. And it's the effect of, of last year's tax reform of saying that, yeah, this is by lowering corporate tax. It sounds like it's going to have I – mean, I guess the pitch is this is going to make America's economy bigger by getting all the you know, activity and business and corporations back here. But it sounds like uh, you know, with folks that actually are in a need of getting revenue, they don't, don't seem to be very happy about it. No, we're not happy about it. Um, and you know, one of the Republican candidates, Travis Allen, he um, recited what you just said. Um, he was saying that, yeah, this Trump tax cut has actually built the economy, and that um, w- you know, all this growth, all the stock market is up, and all this other stuff. The stock market has been up for a, quite a long time, but that hasn't translated into housing. How do you get that directly into housing? Um, yeah, the tax credit is a direct thing. I mean, you actually, if you go in Wikipedia. Ninety percent of all the affordable housing that is built in the United States is built through this LIHTC tax credit. So, 
90%. Wow. So the vast majority of the affordable housing that is built in the United States is built through this tax credit so right the here. remaining 10% is likely... Um, is that inclusionary zoning? It, or mm-hmm. um, subsidized... Um, because it's something like a subsidized unit in a new project, like 10% BMR in yeah, a project. That's what I meant by that's, oh, okay, sure, sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that is that the remaining 10%? Yeah, maybe some sort of rent-controlled apartments mm-hmm. and maybe some things that um, – voucher programs okay. um, that are not necessarily market rate. I don't know how they mm-hmm. get the number of what is affordable, but I – I mean, big, 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 big picture. It's when the economy gets bigger and bigger, does it help everybody or does it just kind of break it off into the haves and the have-nots? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you hear a lot of people saying that I don't care about the stock market booming. I don't care about the economy growing. If it means mm-hmm. that I don't have a place to live, yeah. this this is this doesn't help me at all. Well, and ordinary people aren't even – Aren't a, a lot? Many, many, many people in this country are not exposed even to the stock market. Right. They may have lost their their pension fund. They may have lost their their uh, investments. They may have lost their home, and they're not exposed to the housing market. They're not exposed to the stock market. They may n- yeah. never had the money to save. To exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, you look at the stock market. Like whenever you do like the ten years of the averages of Dow Jones Industrial Average or any of these major markets, um, they've always increased. They've the value of the, these things have increased like uh, incredibly, but at what number do they think uh, poverty is going to be eliminated? Like, where where do you put that line on the market? It's that's like, completely okay, separable. That's a job it's of taxes. Completely separate. It's that's al- taxes. It's almost as though they don't really care about remedying poverty. Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's almost as though. I mean, I would hate to. I think we figured it out, guys. <laughs> so I, I, here's here's a question. I guess basically about like when things boom. Uh, I mean, is it when things boom? And I guess it's just an idea. If MidPen says we need to basically create and build more housing, if they actually want to create new housing, it means getting lots and building on it. That requires basically buying it up. But land booms with the economy. And, I mean, is is there any way – are they paying market rate for what land is being sold for? Because, I mean, land is just going up and up, and it seems – Well, we get – so there's a couple different things that we do. Now, granted, I'm I'm very still new, a year and a half into this as well. I work – as an accountant up to like a week ago, but um, so what exactly do you do in your new role? Now I'm in development, so now I work under um, two great project managers, and um, we and they really have like the coolest properties, like the coolest projects right now in the portfolio. So by by that you mean getting money into Midpen? They. But, Not, but like development is that yeah yeah so we charge a developer fee but there's also some other ways I think um, we get it and and, th- and those fees are capped by TCAC um, hmm. yeah I mean I think our primary way of getting revenue is um, through developer fees okay hmm. so uh, yeah when you're talking about I guess acquiring because I guess the thing you have a portfolio of all the stuff you own and all the places you run but let's say we need more of it if you're trying to acquire new stuff. It's because of the booming economy, something the, the, the more money there is to buy up stuff, uh, the more expensive they get. That's right. kind of the, I mean, that's people say, oh, we should have the government buy up property during a down cycle, but that's when the government's broke. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes we get like a land donated to us from like the county or wow, local really? government. Oh, yeah. So, um, one of the things on one of these recent projects is we're going to have like the ground leased to us from the county of San Mateo. And so they're going to lease this money to uh, or lease this uh, land to us, I think, for a very low amount. Um, sometimes, like, 
like BART, when they're doing stuff on TODs, they'll um, lease the land for a dollar, a dollar a year. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. F- 50 years, something like for that. For 50 a long, years long or something, because yeah. they, uh, you know, BART and County of San Mateo yeah. um, sees a need and sees an economic benefit in providing affordable housing. Well, that's very, and it's very smart, too, to lease instead of to sell, because over the last 40 years, a lot of county land, state land, federal land has been sold, yeah. and now it's worth two, five, ten times as much as it was. I'm sure all the cities and counties around here used to own a ton more land that is worth a ton now, and they they must be kicking themselves. Yeah, and I'm sure they, they'd love it if it's being run for affordable housing, but yeah. I guess it gives them the ability to say, okay, we're not locked in forever on yeah. this. And it can't be something like, okay, now we have these assets to sell to do other programs elsewhere. It means that, yeah, it's still about the city administering this, this, this program. Yeah. Um, and when the lease is over, if zoning and tall building is maybe better in an enlightened future, mm-hmm. they could turn that three-story development into a 12-story development with a school on the bottom floor or something yeah, like that. Or it's always open. Maybe we're living in subterranean holes because, you know, it's yeah. a nuclear holocaust, then, you know, they could do that. They could do anything. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's one, I guess that's Affordable one Affordable bunkers for everyone. <laughs> yeah, build dense, but down. <laughs> I, if, if, if Elon Musk figures out how to, how to drill more cheaply, yeah, yeah. who knows? Uh, Lead shielding is dense. Is that is that the density bonus that we need? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that's one more way that you talk about a place like Midpen can basically be competitive against getting in the scene is if they're doing the right thing, sometimes they can get expensive stuff for free, and that sounds like a really good edge to have. Right, yeah. yeah. But is it just about basically – and there's only – I guess there's only so much – free land every place can can find. It's well, not- some for-profit developers are also getting some of these deals, like Republic, the ones who are doing the Millbay project on the TOD. Uh, they're going to offer like 20% affordable housing, which is more than what it was required, and it was going to have 86 units of, uh, of BMR units for veterans. And um, they're getting that land leased to them from BART for a year, a dollar a year. Yeah. So I think if as long I, I think people who are doing the right thing, um, yeah, they're getting these benefits. And actually, now that I think about it, on well, we we're involved in this one project in Brooklyn Basin, and not all of that is some of its market rate and some of its um, affordable housing um, BMR and Midpen um, is doing that, which is one of the I think most exciting projects um, is Brooklyn Basin. But. Is that rare for Midpen to have a project that includes market rate? We don't. So, like the Midpen property isn't including market rate. Oh, I see. So, but it's a whole development. It's probably a part of a parcel. I see. Usually, because of the way the LIHTC credit works and HUD and all these other agencies, they usually have to be standalone. So, if the building, if if we're talking about a five story building or an eight story building, and like two of those floors are affordable housing, we couldn't do that. Like in a lot of cases, it's hard to get the funding to. There's like rules set. Is that a do you think I mean I mean it's in general is that a sensible requirement or is that a rule that actually could be rethought I'm just trying to think about it, it makes sure that mm. you're not like oh we're an affordable housing thing we but we give a pittance and mostly we're just yeah. a, a normal like landlord well that ties into the San Mateo thing um, and we we can well I'll, I'll bring that up again in a second. But <laughs> there's a lot we're unpacking in the show. I feel yeah. like I'm going to have to listen yeah. to this like three times to to get through everything. Well, yeah. So I I think so. A part of a, a big thing about what Midpen does and what they're really serious about is the services. So yeah. we deal with a lot of vulnerable communities. Um, there's a, a lot of seniors, um, a lot of people maybe with uh, mental illnesses. Um, 
and a lot of families um, that have um, children. And so a big part, uh, we insist on a lot of our properties, um, is having like childcare, having um, after school tutoring and programming, um, programs for seniors. And so it would be hard. I, I don't know how easy it would be for Midpen, particularly, to, if we only had two floors and an eight-story building, yeah. to then have like our community room or mm. have like the rooms that, because we need space to do these things. And so we take a lot of space to create these parts. I mean, I guess the the opposite argument would be there's like cool things going on in like Vienna public housing in that they're so nice that like people go there who are the poorest, but it's also the richest people live there and they're like living in the same building and it's it's mixed income housing and that's actually Oh wow. No, yeah. I, I should look into that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Vienna is kind of a lot of people say like one of the kind of dreams of how public housing could work but it's just unthinkable mm. how Vienna it is. as in the city of in, Vienna in Austria, oh, in Austria. That's the, oh. is that that big I thought that you were talking about really it. really old like the first pub like the Fugagasa is I'm, that what you're talking about? I just know, like, throughout the 20th century, they put a ton of money. I mean, they basically, yeah. they have nice public housing, and the uh, and the public loves it in Vienna, and a big reason that they have it is that they they fund it. Well, <laughs> they, the, the German-speaking um, world, you'll find much more public programs of all kinds. Yeah. But, like, Vienna, it's got a long history. Interesting. I think, I'm pretty sure this is in currently built lots and lots of public projects all over Central Europe. Yeah, in Europe in general. But I guess I guess people say maybe if you know you talk about the Ben Carson attitude, saying we should make public housing. If you are, you know, it shouldn't be a reward for being poor. You should try to get yourself out of there. Mm. And I guess the question is, uh, are there like if there's income requirements to stay in it, does it make it? Are there perverse incentives? Like when I don't know exactly. No, I I I I think you know. Housing, I don't think, is ever a reward. I think that our current system, we have created this thing. I think housing right now, in especially in the Bay Area, is a luxury. We've created it, but the shortage has made housing a luxury. And so now any commodity that is seen as a luxury is going to have only be available to certain people. Yeah. Um, and that is, I think, unfortunate. So I don't think providing somebody what I think is very basic. Oh, yeah. But, should be is seen as like anything like a perverse incentive. I don't. Well, I guess the question is, we kind of have a segmented market of, of basically two housing markets. We have the the market rate market, and the market rate market for housing is basically mm-hmm. selling houses for what they cost to acquire and build, and you know, shock, shock, shock. It's really expensive. Plus profit. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's and this is called, yeah, exactly. This is called luxury housing because you have to be really, really rich to have it. And then you have kind of at the other market is affordable housing. And this is stuff that is affordable, but how does the market work? It works through basically waiting lists, lines. and The waiting there, lists are huge. And there isn't enough to go around. And I guess the question is, how yeah. do you make both of these work? And I think a big part of it is, in I guess in my mind, in a sane world, there would not be insane waiting lists for public housing. No, uh, and well, and again, I I wouldn't say we're public housing because you know we're, we're affordable by, housing. I guess yeah. that's the thing. It doesn't have to. I mean, if you can have cheap housing for people who can't afford market rate, but but yeah. society says you still are worth. <laughs> you know, one thing we hear a lot though, um, and one of the things that are always brought back is that. Well, what do you guys consider cheap? What do you consider cheap? 80% AMI, <laughs> 80% area media income. You know what the area media income is? So 
to say that it's providing like any of the properties that I've ever been to um, and the residents I, I meet, they, uh, they all work. A lot of them, are, they do everything like we do. They just are now, they, they have affordable house. They have some housing security. So I don't know um, what maybe Ben Carson thinks <laughs> is that like these people are just like chilling on like, you know, gold man- in some sort of mansion and they're like just smoking blunts and watching like, I don't know. Stuff <laughs> it's, all th- it's the story. But they're they- just relaxing, eating yeah. caviar. This is not what's happening. They they go to work. They live. <laughs> and just last up. just last week on the show, it's someone who actually is a, a, a colleague, a friend here at KJSU. And uh, yeah, he, he and his father were living in an RV on the side of the street yeah. for 18 months and they both worked. And yeah. this is just, this is not... The way you run no. housing. This is, I mean, and this isn't the way you should run Western society. Yeah. Come on. So if I, I, if if giving somebody <laughs> like, hey, you don't have to spend eighty uh, percent of your income, um, and I consider cons- to consider that a perverse incentive, like. So let's I talk, don't know. <laughs> that so, seems really scary. So I feel like I'm just kind of bouncing around in just gigantic things like, oh, of course, you can't change that. You're talking about, uh, I guess, the LIHTC credits are LITEC, awarded, yeah. are, LITEC, are rewarded at the federal level and rewarded based on population. But right. not every population is equally deserving based on size. I mean, places that are building enough housing sure. don't have the scarcity of of affordable units, yeah, and and sure. California needs a lot yeah. more of it. You shouldn't need tax credits to make money building housing in Cleveland or operating well, housing. In there Cleveland. might be some other dynamics put into that calculation, but I think from what I've yeah. read, the majority, uh, the big thing is that it's done by population. Yeah, and you look at different things. You talk about Detroit. What is the problem? The problem in Detroit is they have a bunch of neighborhoods that are just basically valueless land, and they have a bunch of abandoned houses, and you need to inject a lot of capital to fix up houses, just make houses work, and basically make neighborhoods livable. That's not the problem in California. The problem in California is everything is just monumentally expensive because there's scarcity in really location and land. Right. Enforced scarcity. And, yeah, and that's a question, too. When you are doing stuff, how does uh, zoning affect you? It's not like you have a free check. It's like, oh, yeah, build 100 stories. You know, you're still— I mean, we still respect, you know, the local zoning. I mean, we have to. Yeah, exactly. Um, We get density bonuses, um, you know, but yeah, some people. I mean, certain communities are better than others. Um, but you also, we we don't want to get into the whole of just dumping affordable housing in certain areas. So one of the areas that we work in um, is the Bellhaven community in uh, Menlo Park, and some people get frustrated that you know they don't have a grocery store or a pharmacy which it sounds like they will be getting um facebook on their new facebook village is going to be adding a, they mentioned something a 35,000 square foot grocery store was oh, that on that side of the highway on the on the bay side of the highway in menlo park yes bellhaven okay. yes and they're going to add um a huge grocery store and a pharmacy which is something that the community there is needed a while but they don't you know there are certain places we don't want to get into the idea or the the whole of well, this area seems to be more receptive of affordable housing, or this city council doesn't give us that much. Let's just keep putting affordable housing here over and over again until eventually, like we've created this low income district. So, so basically, if you're if you're we want to be inclusionary. If you're whiny and basically resistant to saying, "Hey, you know, we'll take our share," you're rewarded for it. Rewarded for it by basically saying, "Okay." 
we'll skip you and the people who show generosity basically bear all the burden. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's <laughs> that is that's what yeah. happens. And, and that's I, I that's NIMBYism. That's what happens yeah. with NIMBYism because you see where anything big, new, unpleasant gets built is by the highways, by the bay, in the flats, um, in former industrial areas, and where nothing gets built is in the hilly and green, um, uh, high-income, uh, low-density places where people live, where people own houses. Oh, yeah. the, the day before uh, we're, filming this, uh, we're filming this, we're recording this on uh, March 10th, just yesterday, uh, there's an article, City of SF uh, pulls funding for affordable housing development, 150 units in Forest Hill, uh, because... People, their neighbors, are scared of the people living in affordable housing. They said they call them drug addicted. And that's the mm-hmm. thing. It's like, you know, it's a lot of people will give lip service saying like, oh, you know, we're against the bad kind of development. But give us, you know, the affordable development. We don't want luxury condos. Build us affordable. But there is, honest to God, nimbyism over people building yeah. affordable, like pure yeah. affordable housing. Well, that's what we hear in Milbrae. In Milbrae, oh, yeah. they say, first they were like, well, there's two different projects. And so you really get to understand what the motivation is there. There's the Milbrae Sarah project that doesn't have, I think it has a very small amount of affordable housing. It's mostly market rate housing. And then there's the Gateway project that's going to offer 20% affordable housing. Housing. Veterans uh, preferred. Pre- veterans preferred. And um, support the troops. Support the yeah. troops. <laughs> Thank support. you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, the thing is, is that the NIMBYs that come out there, um, and I don't think they're part of any organized group. Um, at first, they're saying that, well, we want, um, we don't want these luxury condos because there's no affordable housing in it. Um, and this isn't going to help anybody, and why is this here? Uh, we want more retail. They, we, they, they're constant about that one point, but they said that this isn't going to help anybody, that it's no affordable housing. Then on the Gateway Project that does have 20% affordable housing, they say, well, well, they're not making it in the first phase. They're going to make it in the phase three, and what if the economy crashes between phase one and phase three? Yeah. Then you might not get that 86 unit. So it's, there's always something... They, they're, Faking like they really care. There's so I mean, like you look at this, and uh, after this article yesterday about basically pulling affordable housing, and someone says, "Oh, I'm all the people who says they support non-affordable housing." There's you know radio silence now. They're not going out to say we're outraged because a lot of these people aren't actually focused on affordable housing. They're focused on stopping development. That's what's going to be pernicious at the Sacramento level, like you said, Paul. Everyone at Housing California, housing's the number one issue, housing, housing, housing. And people are saying that in the mayoral race and the supervisor race when there are supervisors. But people, NIMBYs can still hide behind that statement. Like, Mm -hmm. for example, I love affordable housing so much. If a project isn't 100% affordable, I don't want to see it. Like Measure P. Like Measure P. Measure P in In the city of San Mateo. Yeah, well, what what does it do? So it it puts a a 55-foot height limit, and it also requires, I think, is it 10 or 15%? It requires 15%. So it requires 15% of below market rate, and I don't know at what thing. It could be at what... Part of AMI, but I think it's eighty percent. But there's, there's, it can depending well, on there's, there's other language depending on where it sits in AMI. It's really complicated. But Kevin but. Burris, uh, 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 what is his? How do you do? It? Kevin Burke, okay, he, of yeah. Belmont Renters. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, he yeah. did this great thing at the city council meeting, and he was just saying how like it's only Measure P has created ten units per year. Yeah. Of since 1994, yeah, um, and so and a, one tax credit property we we have a few Midparent has a few in San Mateo, um, will create decades worth of Measure P. Pro- most of the have most of the f- developments or the affordable housing that has been created 
in city of San Mateo have been tax credit prop, not Measure P properties. Um, and and the fact is is that they they put in a moratorium on new rental units for forty five days. Yeah. Because they said the new AB fifteen oh five. Which allows. I guess them to let's, let's start at the beginning. Well, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Can, Sorry, can I, I'm getting confused. Can I just you know, stop it? God, everything yeah. is so but so a Stanford, complicated. There's, it's a, absurd, there's yeah. a Stanford quote in here. Oh, yeah? he, remember, he said that it is you were more likely to get into Stanford to get accepted to Stanford, which had like six said, times more likely. Six times more likely than to get a BMR unit in the city of San Mateo. Yeah, you are six <laughs> times more likely. Wow. I mean, I just feel when you make everything into a gigantic Rube Goldberg machine that no sensible person who lives a normal life will ever have time to understand. It. I mean, I don't want to be too cynical. Maybe I do, but it is going to benefit the powerful. It's going to benefit the people who really have oh, a yeah. vested interest and want to keep it, which is basically, you know, people who have a better stake in society, largely Prop 13. Uh, protected homeowners, yeah. and if yeah. you are on the outside looking in, these complicated proposals will find a million ways to basically create this weird machine that just says, "Oh wait, you're on the outside, you're not going to get in." And but I'm sorry, this is it, this is how it works. Yeah, all the time they take to build city walls, they could be building actual housing. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, mean, I feel if if everything was just on its face saying we don't want to build housing, and this is how it's so you know this is how expensive everything is. We we're not building public housing. This is how long the lines is. We, if people, if if people really understood how these sensible sounding proposals are really ways to basically hold back yeah. the flow of affordable and market rate housing people need, they wouldn't they wouldn't put up with it. Yeah, and, and you know those in lieu fees, um, they they help us a lot too because we could use that money to. Fund a lot of projects, services. Um, so, in lieu fees help build. I would say in lieu fees probably have a better impact on providing affordable housing than actual inclusionary policies. Oh, let's take a, let's take a step back. The part of this thing, <laughs> this measure, this San Mateo Measure P thing. Um, there's a state uh, AB 1505 that basically prescribes the framework for how um, BMR inclusionary housing works. Um, in the state, in the, within the state of California, and it's up to local municipalities to say require ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent, whatever BMR. It, it leaves it up to the local municipalities. Okay. The way San Mateo decided to implement these policies was to say we would like fifteen percent, and many cities around the state, um, they say you can build the affordable housing on site, like in the same building if you if you can, in a different building on the same lot if you can, or pay an in-lieu fee, like Paul was saying. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that goes into a pot that builds housing elsewhere in the city. San Mateo said the only thing you can do is build on-site. Is that, that correct? In that same, yeah. On-site, in the same building. So for if you want to build... Um, and it can't be bigger than 55 feet. Exactly, And it can't be bigger than 55 feet. So that's, that's how San Mateo has structured their... The city or the state issued 1505 saying this is how we're going to go forward with BMR housing, but some things are up to the city. Which makes it financially infeasible for a lot of market yes. developers to be oh, yeah. building housing. Yeah. And what city of San Mateo did with the, when they had that opportunity to do you know some things under their own control, they made it really really difficult and put huge barriers on it. Like I said, um, you know, a, a tax credit property builds decades worth of measure 10 uh, measure p properties so yeah. those measure p properties which create 10 a year 
we have one on Delaware Street. I think that has 68 units. Um, we have Peninsula Station. Yeah. Um, I think it has 141 units. But these are, I mean, that I think 141 plus 61. I think is that that might be the history of Measure P right there. It might be. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I mean, this is another case of a of a, a local law that is that has this 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 feel good flavor to it. Like oh. We care this much about affordable housing, and the city was using this during during the San Mateo City Council meeting. They were using this language: "We care about affordable housing so much that we want to continue standing by our policy that is, you know, that is restrictive. We don't want these luxury developers coming in." But at the end of the day, less is built, and I think that's the intention. You know what else I was thinking, and I don't know if this is true, but this is, might be somebody we can get a county official on here one day. But there was Measure K. Do you know Measure K in the San Mateo County? I think my brain is breaking. I don't know anything. Anymore. <laughs> so Measure K was. Passed Passed by the voters of San Mateo County, and it provides, recently, right? Re- recently, relatively recently. Well, I think it just to two election cycles. It. Oh, to extend it, yeah, yeah. A one is new. That's right. That's yes, in Alameda that's right. County, but it takes a little bit of like sales tax, and what it does one is, cent. Yeah, one cent, and it funds um, affordable housing. But usually, a city will have to put a little bit of money to have a little skin in the game. They call it. Um, and so, I wonder if you could take the in lieu fee. Give, if you give it back to the city, and then the city gives it to, you know, gives it, puts it up to for, and then they can get Measure K money. And that's a much bigger pot. Now you're funding affordable housing. If they wanted to build affordable housing. They, <laughs> oh, they just well, don't. Still the will. I mean, we're still talking about NIMBYs. They still don't want have, to build. And that's a big you thing. Can you can give them have, everything. You could have all the money in the world. Yeah. If they don't want to build, they are still not going to. You could be like, listen, we're going to pay for it. A hundred percent. You know, I, I, Paul Leone, just won the lottery. I'm going to give you all the money to build this thing. Yeah. Free housing. And they might still block it. Well, I mean, it that's like- what would happen in Mountain View. Google wanted to build 10,000 units. They're like, we own the land. We will pay for it entirely ourselves. We will make a good percentage affordable. Will you let us build it? Absolutely not, said Mountain View. Not after when did they reviews and reviews and reviews. Uh-huh. They're still approved. Well, that was their initial response was absolutely not. And now their response is... You've been approved to uh, enter a new approval process, uh, and I'm critic. I'm a little. I like Mountain View did just recently pass the new North Bayshore Precise Plan, which oh yeah is that, really big. That was a few years before they did uh, a, a lot more. I, I guess they've done a housing. Lot more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Recently, but um, I feel so I'm yeah. really happy with Mountain View. Just the entire collection of policies. It feels like a magnificent machine to basically. You you pump in a will not to build housing, and what you get out is no housing, but then also you, the idea that you did something about it. And yes. I feel, and that yeah. it just depresses me so much. And I feel there's so many you know places that really, really want to do stuff like Midpen, and they want to just basically get the money and get the authority to build mm. housing. And uh, yeah, I mean, and it feels like when we have this giant complicated mess and everything says oh we're trying we're trying let's do this we'll try this we'll try this and then the end is it effective and i can't say that when market rate is astronomical and when waiting list for affordable is astronomically long everything is broken and i guess the question is are we really looking at effective looking at measuring our effectiveness and are we doing enough to make things more effective we are measuring effectiveness. I know that there's, the county has studied these things. I, I can't get into it in the depth that they can. Um, yeah. So I know that there's so many um, state, local um, agencies that do measure the effectiveness of uh, 
a, a inclusionary zoning, I don't, I, I don't know. They might know and look into it, but I don't know if these things are widely published. Yeah, that's interesting because are you talking about measuring the effectiveness of a particular company or measuring the effectiveness of a municipality? I think he's talking about inclusionary zoning in I'm, general. I'm talking okay. about inclusionary zoning and talking ways that we basically gotcha. create credits for completely new mm. uh, affordable housing units. I'm I think LIHTC is undisputedly very beneficial. But is it the right size or should it be bigger? Well, well, of course it should be bigger, but I mean, <laughs> that's it, the question. It, it's, yeah. it's the leader. It's it's number one in providing affordable housing. I but of course it could get be more. Orrin Hatch and Maria Cantwell to agree on that it needs to be expanded. I think you yeah. can pretty much share that. I, there's wide. A lot of people understand that this program needs to be expanded. But then also allocation. Are you allocating correctly between you know a place like? You know, Georgia, Colorado, Minnesota, sure. and California. I mean, there's a lot of different things, right. different places need. And that just might be something that needs to be relooked at. I'm not yeah. 100% sure. Yeah. It yeah. might be done really well. Um, I think, you know, they're getting a lot of affordable housing. I, I know California gets the most. Um, As it's it's the most more. impoverished state, and, when, and we have the most people. We have the most people and the greatest um, percentage of people who are who are homeless, who are extremely sure. burdened by ink, by rent and all that stuff. So. Wow, I mean, what a real number one. <laughs> Although you could say a thing is, boy, we shot ourselves in our own foot with awful policy like Prop yeah. Thirteen. Yeah. It's kind of does suck for every other state. Say, hey, California is just awful at creating policy, and then they get money to subsidize <laughs> the fact that they are basically su- subsidizing their homeowners. They are basically putting millions of their homeowners, and it is indirectly mm. money that should be going for housing here, but instead it's getting paid for f- federal level. And that does suck if you're somewhere else. Oh, it Calif- really does, yeah. California needs to get, get, get it act together. We generate the most wealth out of any state in the country. Yeah. And we, have, we are the poorest at scooping some of it out and redistributing it. And even, and I, I mean, just talk, I, you can use the straw man of the poor person sitting on their butt or someone being rewarded for bad behavior, but we need to reinvest in general. In That's what infrastructure is. It's the state paying for things that everybody can use that now the economy can grow because you don't have to pay a toll for every road you go on. You don't have to pay exorbitantly with people operating natural monopolies. The government is supposed to smooth that out to provide things for free so that the economy can grow. Yeah, and I think there's also the you know moral argument. Does somebody who's poor and lazy also, because of that, not deserve to be able to have a house? Do they deserve to... I mean, you know, I yeah. believe in my heart that ha- homes and houses is a human right. I think it should be for everybody. I mean, I believe that we are all born onto the world, and no matter who you are, no matter how lazy you are, you still deserve a bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I we, don't care yeah. if you're a horrible person. I don't <laughs> care if you are a really big meanie and you hate people and you just sit on the ground and you don't do anything and but yell at people. I think you should at the end of the day while you're after you're done sitting and yelling at people not doing anything, you should have a house to go to. Yeah. And if I that person think... had a house 10 years ago, maybe they wouldn't be yelling today. Maybe they would have spent the whole time watching Netflix, maybe but that's at least why they're yelling. Yeah. So, so there is so much to to be, I guess, baffled and and upset about. But let's let's talk about what what is as wrapping up. What is what is much of optimism you have, and and you know what you see in hope in making housing better, uh, affordable housing better in the peninsula, yeah. and just everything better. I think some cities are getting their act together. I think the state is getting. This is. You know, when the guy said, and I wish I remembered his name, but he said that we are in the third wave of urban renewal. And he also said that if we don't bring communities 
genuinely and sincerely bring communities to the table on how we do this. We are going to look back on this time the way we look back at the second and first one and talk about, like you were just saying, that how we like put projects and people of color in these certain communities. If we don't think about that, if we don't engage these communities and have them, they better they have to have a big seat at the table. They have to have a lot of say in this development. You know, my boss, uh, Nevada, I'll give it, say her name, she said that she doesn't want this one project to be a mid-pen project. She wants it to be the community's project. And then... It's so much easier to do outreach, but we are in the third. I mean, we have really bold leadership. I think, you know, the work of Scott Weiner, um, David Chu, all the Yimbies. I mean, it's really um, exciting time. Um, I think that we have bold regional solutions that are coming, SB 35, A27. I think that things are going to change. I really feel that in the next couple of years, yeah. we are going to be moving a lot faster than we've ever moved before. Nice, nice sound effect. Uh, I mean, I would say that it's what is, I think, there. I'm so depressed when I hear basically tension between pro-growth, you know, pro-YIMBY, you mm-hmm. know, movements, and basically pro-equity and equality for all communities. It's so hard. I mean, they, I think the only real way we are going to be able to move forward is when these people get together. We can have yeah. equity and building houses. You know, and I didn't get to talk about this, but this is something, you know, I, I think... Something that I, I think about a lot in my job, um, and as I'll be getting in and doing more community outreach, is that you know the, a lot of these communities that talk about the, the, about displacement and every, I, I support like these regional solutions because I agree that there has been displacement. I think this will help solve it. But how does a person like me, who has been the type of people, you know, I'm a thirty year old white guy who has been the face of gentrification, go into a community and then say, hey, listen, I know what we've been doing. I know we've been gentrifying, but guess what? This time, this time it's going to work. And I'm going to build this huge development, but this time, trust me. Like, how do I go and sell that? Like, first, should I be selling that? Yeah, like, like, should it be your responsibility to sell that? Well, but I I think they have a... uh, they, How they, have I, a, they have a right to be skeptical that right. any news is bad news. I mean, and, shame on them if they're not skeptical. Yes, I yes. mean, they've been seeing this for years. And I, guess I would a, be skeptical And that's the me. thing. If you feel no news is good news, that is not a bad heuristic. But California is the example of no news for 40 years in building housing is terrible news. Right. That's and, what fuels NIMBYism as well. I mean— People who already have their rent control department, who, you know, they, they still manage to live here. They know people who have been displaced, but they're still living here. They don't have an incentive to see anything else built, just like a NIMBY homeowner. There's absolutely no upside to letting more things change, letting more things get built, right. seeing the color of the neighborhood change. They have no incentive. But I think there's a spectrum of NIMBYism, and I, and, and I hate to call somebody who's fearing displacement um, a NIMBY, but... Like, you might not want that new luxury a condo in your front yard or your backyard because you're afraid that that's what you've been seeing changing oh. your community. And all your friends have moved. Just like – but I think, you know, the single-family homeowner who's watching their property value increase, I think they're having a little different – I, I, don't, I couldn't compare the two. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, there is no no way that you should ever say, shame on you, person in an impoverished community who knows they're going to get screwed here. But it is so depressing that we have now 
wealthy homeowners in Marin County and mm-hmm. all these people are natural allies right. of, yeah. of now people living in the mission and people who are just worrying about displacement because people in the Marin who are NIMBYs, they are just full of evil in their hearts. They think, they have so little empathy for everybody, and they are so cynically yeah. saying, "I'm your oh, friend." Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this thing you have the mission defenders up there. I think when you know these people, why if they care about these communities, then why are they protecting upzoning and like places like Marin or these white neighborhoods that have been historically redlined for people of color and people of low income. I mean, why are they protecting those places from being upzoned? And some people have, like, they really believe it's going to make gentrification worse, but I think there's some people who have reached that conclusion. There is a lot of people who cynically defend that conclusion because they never are really about displacement in the first place. They are about resisting development. Yeah, they just want to see, they want to see a solution to the housing crisis where they and theirs get everything and the techies get nothing. But I want to be clear, I don't think that is people like, you have Mission Defenders, San Francisco's Tenant Union, I don't think that is people like Kaye24, I don't think that they don't care about displacement. I don't think that their main goal is to try and, I think the people in Marin, I think um, definitely the people we've seen in Millbrae, I think (laughs) <laughs> that uh, they certainly uh, maybe feel uh, they feel that way, but I feel that I think in a lot of cases, and I think we have similar goals. We just fundamentally disagree on like what the solution is here. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we need to, we need to find the people who are in good faith trying to do the right thing, and find a way to basically get all the bad faith people like out of the conversation and that oh. it worries me so much because I feel there's so much bad faith there is some bad faith and me and Max get in like <laughs> debates about this sometimes where we talk about like well it's kind of like the trickle down I mean do we want I mean if we just build lots of market rate at and with the idea that well once we decrease the shortage eventually the rents are going to go down well that means you're going to have to wait like hey people who have been displaced and people who are like not housing secured you're going to have to wait like 5 or 10 years or for this to work yeah yeah i no. mean we have the choice between giving between telling people hey you know in 5 or 10 years it'll be cleared up and saying 20 years you won't be able to come back that's the choices we have we can sure. impl- we're not going to be able to bring back 100,000 displaced people in a year or two or five it'll take a long time and this problem will be solved for young, rich techies before it will be solved for people who have right. been displaced. But, but it's not an either-or, and I think that's what's great about a place like MidPen, is saying that we need both. We need to fix market rate, and we need to fix affordable housing. But like I said, the LIHTC credit is finite. MidPen <laughs> cannot could, fix the housing crisis. But we, we want to, we, as much as we would, we, we, nonprofit developers cannot fix us at, get us at. But California could. If California repealed Prop 13 and just piped money into places sure. like Midpen, we could fix affordable housing. <laughs> but is anyone saying this? I mean, or or the I market love... solution, too. If you let market rate housing be built, and I'm and this is something the EMBs... If we could generate enough money that only nonprofit developers could build housing, build us out of this. Like, can Prop 13... I mean, maybe, maybe if we repealed it and then every bit of dollars that we got back from it had to go into... And zoning was revamped throughout the entire state. 
another thing we run into is con- we have a shortage of construction workers. That's a whole other yeah. story. I don't want to get so, into that. So but. so much. Well, I mean, this is uh, this has been. Uh, there's there's endless talk about. It. We need to have you back on to talk more yeah, about drill down into some stuff because I feel yeah, yeah. this is a grab bag of so many things. Yeah, and, like, maybe we could up. invite like somebody from the county. We yeah. could get, Let's just fill up the room with twenty people yelling about all the things that outrage them. <laughs> uh, this is. But, but thanks a ton for being on Paulioni of uh, of uh, Midpen Housing. It's been been a pleasure. And Max Kepchinski for. Uh, for coming by, uh, co-host, and uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I, I, and uh, yeah, we want to hear more. Yeah, definitely <laughs> right. come back. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, previous episode <laughs> of the show can be found online at seethecat.org. This is a presentation of KZSU Stanford.